All right, let's get started. If you're here tonight and didn't have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, if you'll go ahead back to the little chapel, uh, you'll be served at this time. All right, books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Job, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Zephaniah,
how many plagues are we to? Two. 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 What were they? Be careful. One, two, one. Before we go to class tonight, to have a couple of announcements or points of emphasis. Uh, the event taking place next Sunday night, May 21st, has to do with all of our youth and parents age 7th through 12th, as well as those that would like to be supportive in any way of our youth activities. You're invited and encouraged to attend a fellowship and planning session. That's in the annex next Sunday night. And uh, there's a sign-up sheet back in the back. Uh, if you plan on coming to that, you need to sign that list so they'll know how much chicken to bring. I sure hope I got that right. I think I did, but we'll see. So please do that. Also remember to sign up for Super Saturday. It's coming up June 10th from 9 a.m. till 2.30 p.m. And uh, let's make sure that we get ready and have a great day on June 10th. All right, I'm fixing to close out with a prayer and following the prayer, Caleb is going to come in just a moment and lead us in a song for our teachers to go to class. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all you do for us. We're thankful for this beautiful day, Father. We are so grateful that we've had the opportunity to come here together as your people to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, 
we recognize how insignificant we are in your side, and we pray that you'll just continue to watch over us and care for us, and may we put our complete and total dependence upon you in all things. Father, many are sick that need our prayers right now, Father. There are folks going through difficult times. Uh, many have lost loved ones that are grieving. Please be with each one of these, Father. You know their needs. Continue to bless the wonderful church here at Boonville. Please bless our elders, our deacons, our uh, Bible class teachers, all those who serve God uh, here at Boonville uh, in this community as your children. We pray that you'll continue to bless this church in all things. The, these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Today we'll be singing, I'll Fly Away, 851. I'll Fly Away, 851, the first verse. Some glad morning when the sun is over, beautiful day. It's wonderful. A little warm out there, isn't it, already? But that's good. We're glad you're here tonight. Uh, got a special request already for a prayer uh, for Johnny Parker's uh, father, Joe, who's not doing well at all right now. He's in the hospital in Biloxi. So uh, we want to pray for him and others before we begin tonight. And uh, let's begin by, by noting him and encouraging him uh, encouraging uh, us to remember him in prayer. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the day. We 
recognize the fact that uh, there's so many, Father, that are dealing with cancer. There are many who are dealing with various kinds of illnesses, some even dealing with mental types of illnesses as well. We pray for Johnny Parker's father, Joe, who's not doing well at all right now in Biloxi. And Father, uh, we pray for those that are attending to his needs there. We pray that they'll do everything that they can do, the things that will be most helpful and most needful for Joe. We pray that you would uh, allow them to provide that. And Father, for all those that are sick that we know of personally, so many, please be with those, Father, and help them in their time of need. And uh, we pray that what can be done will be done so that uh, they can be restored to their health. And again, Father, those that have lost loved ones that continue to grieve, we pray your blessings upon them. Father, tonight as we open up your word and study about marriage, we pray that you'll bless us in our study. We pray that we'll listen with open hearts and open minds and be receptive to what your word says. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for Jesus who came and gave his life on Calvary for our sins and uh, thus provides us with the hope of heaven when this life is over. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, Bob and Ethel had been married over 50 years. They always made a trip around their anniversary to the mountains. They just wanted to go to the mountains, the Smoky Mountains every year. And Bob always wanted to go where the helicopter took off, you know, the scenic helicopter tour, you know. And so they would always go by there. And old Bob, he always just wanted to get on that helicopter so bad. But Ethel would always fuss at him, and sometimes it would cause a scene. He, she would say, now, Bob, you know $50 is $50. There's other things we can do with that money. So they never, he never got to ride on that helicopter. Well, on their 50th anniversary, they made their annual trip back to the mountains, and they were there at the helicopter, you know, the scenic view site where it took off, and Bob said, you know, Ethel, we're not, I'm not going to live much longer. I want to ride that helicopter. And I want to go around and I want to see all the pretty sights. And they kind of got a little tiff there, you know. And Ethel said, now, Bob, $50 is $50, you know. Well, the pilot was there waiting for the next tour. And he heard those arguing. And he came up to him and said, excuse me, you know, what's y'all's names? And they said, Bob and Ethel. Listen, Bob and Ethel, I'll tell you what I'll do to keep you off from arguing. If you'll get on this helicopter, both of you, I'll let you fly on the tour for free. But you can't say a word to each other. Boy, they agreed, and they got on that helicopter, and there it took off. And man, everything was just quiet as a mouse. Everything was just going well. They landed the helicopter, and... Uh, the helicopter said, where's Ethel? Where's your wife? What was, she fell out way back there. Why didn't you say nothing? Well, $50 is $50, you know? <laughs> so anyhow. All right. The requisites of a happy marriage. The requisites of a happy marriage. We've talked about uh, various things so far uh, just to kind of get us caught up if you weren't here last week. We talked about in the outset about the importance of uh, being happy in our marriages. And we talked about how that 
the foundation of marriage must be what? Y'all remember? What must it be focused on? God, all right? It must be focused on God. God has to be the focus when it comes to decisions that we make, when it comes to uh, uh, things that have to do with our spirituality, when it comes to, to do with our vocation, uh, our finances, we need to base it on the principles of God's word. He has to be the focal point in our marriage. Also, the second point we made as far as the foundation for marriage was that it has to be cemented with love. And we talked about last week different kinds of love and how those kinds of loves uh, tie together in the marriage relationship. We emphasized agape love, right? Agape love is more than a feeling. It's more than emotion. Uh, agape love is seeking the well-being of the other person, seeking their needs above our own. What's best for that person? Someone said that agape love is not something that happens to you. It's something that you make happen. And so we emphasized the importance of that. Now, tonight... Well, we also talked about, I, I forgot this too, the biblical, uh, the biblical purposes of a happy marriage. We talked about marriages to provide companionship, and we emphasized that. We also talked about procreation, how uh, marriage uh, is for that purpose. And then we emphasized that marriage is to prevent the sin of immorality. And uh, we're going to begin tonight by talking about the requisites of a happy marriage. And I hope you'll think about some of these things tonight as we get into this. Uh, if we want to have happy marriages, there's some things that we can and cannot do. I want to begin by focusing your attention on Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Uh, verse we looked at last week, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So we want our marriages to be happy. There's a lot of people getting married today, aren't they? Sadly, in our culture, more marriages end in divorce, right? Did you know more people are divorcing than are marrying right now? Divorce is epidemic. It's all around us. Uh, there's advertisements on billboards, right? Advertising divorce lawyers, you know, easy divorce here. Uh, you, you can get it done cheap or whatever. It just seems like that, you know, the easy way out now is just to end the marriage, right, rather than be committed. So what are some of the requisites of a happy marriage? First of all, marriage involves leaving our parents. We're to leave father and mother. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word leave means to depart. It means to leave behind. When a man and a woman decide that they're going to marry, they choose to separate themselves physically, emotionally, and financially from their parents. And also when a couple makes the decision to become one, Parents must work diligently to let their children leave and encourage their cleaving and to become one flesh with their spouse. You know, sometimes 
parents just seemed like they, they don't want to allow this to happen right here. They don't really encourage uh, the husband and the wife to leave and to cleave. Now, to do otherwise, to me, and I think the Bible teaches this, is really unloving and becomes selfish. We need to have the mind of Christ, right? We're not looking after our own things. We're looking on the things of others. And so these two, this couple, these two have become one. They are now a married couple. And therefore, we need to understand as parents that, you know, we're out of the picture somewhat. Not completely, but, you know, we're subordinate to that other relationship now. And we need to understand that. And there's a lot of trouble that happens when we, we don't do that. Uh, you know, a couple may have moved out of your childhood home, but have you really left your parents behind? God didn't mince words when instructing a married couple to leave their parents. In fact, the Hebrew words used in Genesis 2 and verse 24, which states, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, that simply means to forsake dependence upon. Whereas I was once dependent upon my parents, that no longer exists. It also means to leave behind. It means to release, to let go. Later, Jesus addressed the issue when he said that no one was intended to come between a husband and wife, Matthew 19, verse 6. No one, no in-laws, no mother, no father was meant to divide a couple who had made a covenant with each other to leave and to cleave and to become one flesh. And I think this point of instruction is greatly needed today. And uh, it's a difficult one sometimes for us to grasp and get a hold of. You know, particularly, you know, with parents and children that, you know, they've grown up very close and that kind of thing. This is, this is a very difficult problem sometimes. A psychologist named Dan Allender in his book, Intimate Allies, he said that the failure to shift loyalty from parents to spouse is a central issue in all marital conflict. Now you think about that. The failure to do that is a central issue in all marital conflict. You know, God knows that leaving parents is a difficult transition, right? I remember the day I got married. I mean, this is it right here. You know, things aren't going to be quite the same ever again. And God knows that that can be difficult in transition. It may be more difficult for some than others, especially, as I said, in homes where the child-parent bond has been solid and warm. But unfortunately, many, if not most couples, don't cut the apron strings when the marriage takes place, they simply kind of lengthen the apron strings. You know, when a married couple has their first fight, their first bicker, and mom calls home to mom and dad and says, I'm coming home. I, I just can't be here tonight. I'm coming to the house. You ought to tell them, you're not welcome here tonight. You need to work this out with your husband. You need to work it out. That's what you need to do. That's tough, isn't it? But, you know, they can't come home. They can't continually 
go crying to mom and dad every time, you know, something doesn't go just right. You know, you are now one with that spouse and you need to stay there and work things out to the best of your ability. And so marriage involves leaving our parents. Secondly, marriage involves being joined to our spouse. Whereas you leave father and mother, you're joined to your spouse. Now, that word joined is translated from a word meaning to cling to. It means to be glued or cemented to or to weld together. You know, two pieces of metal. Some of you that may weld from time to time. Two pieces of metal that you put together and you weld. What happens to that when they're joined together? Huh? They stay together, right? If it's done right. You, that's what that word means. When you're joined to your wife, you're welded together. And when the decision to marry is made, the man and the woman consciously choose to subordinate all other relationships to the new relationship with their spouse. Uh, pleasing the wife is the thing that's most important there. Pleasing your husband. Above all, pleasing God. But, you know, you need to do what's best for your spouse when you become welded to her. Also, when they choose to marry, they vow before God and before one another to cleave to one another until they are separated by death itself. Now, sadly today, commitment is cheap, isn't it? Right? You know, these big-time athletes sign these multi-million dollar contracts, and yet what happens when another athlete signs a bigger contract? They're going to sit out, right, till you come up with another contract. People don't honor contracts today, do they, like they used to? You know, it used to be a handshake, or your word was your bond. Uh, you know, marriage today, commitment is cheap. Uh, there are people that will just simply evacuate the boat of matrimony whenever it hits rocky waters sometimes. They'll just get out of it just as quickly and easily as possible. Uh, there's no real commitment that we're going to see these thing, this thing through. And so marriage involves being joined to our spouse. Also, number three, marriage involves becoming one flesh. Now, the expression one flesh is heaven's way of describing what takes place when a man and a woman decide to marry. When they leave their father and mother and become one flesh, that's what happens when they marry. Now, this phrase, one flesh, suggests several things here that you'll see on the board. I believe I put it up there. First of all, it is a natural union. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. You know, the helper, the help meet, uh, describes the wife as one who complements or completes her husband spiritually, emotionally, and physically. It's a, it's a natural union. It's natural, you know, for one to want to find a husband or a wife and begin a new home together. You know, our children come into this world. They're totally dependent upon us as babies and as children, they grow into teenagers and they mature. And finally, if they choose to go to college or whatever they decide to do, they go out into the world on their own. And, you know, they become less and less dependent upon us, right? 
You know, uh, it's sad today. You know, when children go off to school, the influence of parents diminishes somewhat, right? They're not around you all the time like they used to be. So it's natural for a man and a woman to want to find that lifetime partner. That's just a natural process. That's how we're made. But it's also an intimate union. The word join demands that all relationships yield to the marriage relationship. And so marriage is a monogamous, uh, monogamous in its nature. Each partner remains faithful to the other. You're faithful to one woman. And so it is an intimate relationship. I want you to also note that it's described as a sexual union. We talked about this a little bit last week. And consequently, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife should never be viewed as being wrong or dirty. Instead, you know, we need to teach uh, our children and uh, uh, others as they grow up in the home that, you know, the this, this sexual act between husband and wife is something that God declared was good. It's not to be dirty. It's not something to just be ashamed of. God said it's good. God created our sexual drive. And, uh, you know, sometimes we hear people say, well, we want to find out if we're compatible sexually, so we're going to live together before we get married. That's a lot of people that do that today. I can tell you a good way to see if you're sexually compatible. This is an easy test. Are you a man? Are you a woman? You're compatible. That's it. You know, if you're a man and you're a woman, you're compatible. Uh, you know, that's, that's how that ought to be. And plus, statistics shows that those that live together before they're married, choose to marry, are almost twice as likely to get a divorce anyway. Think about that, too. And so, uh, marriage is to be a sexual union. Marriage is also to be a spiritual union. And this is where the idea of commitment comes in. The spiritual aspect of the marriage relationship really is the foundation uh, from which this commitment comes, right? You know, we understand the commitment that we're, ha we're to have to God and to His church as His children. We are taught that. We understand that commitment, right? And so we grow up with a sense of that commitment, knowing that we have to be committed to our spouse for as long as we live. And so a man and woman are joined together as husband and wife, and they're joined by God. If God doesn't join the man and woman together, no matter what the world says, they're not married. God has to do the joining. It has to be a spiritual union. And so God is the author of the marriage relationship. He sets the standard by which the home and the union is governed. And then notice it's to be a permanent union. Uh, the marriage bond can only be broken two ways, according to the Bible. And we're going to look at some verses here in just a minute. It can be broken, number one, by death. The death of one of the spouses that ends the marriage relationship. Or, number two, it can be broken by unfaithfulness to the marriage vows. And we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. That's the only two ways. Marriage is a permanent relationship that can only be dissolved by the death of one of the partners or if one 
of the partners is unfaithful sexually to their partner. Now, from marriage is honorable, bed undefiled, but homemongers and adulterers, God, God's going to judge. That's right. That's right. Now, let's move on to the monogamous nature of a happy marriage. Monogamy, that's kind of a weird sounding word, doesn't it? Monogamy, what's that? Monogamy. Sounds like a sort of a game sometimes. The word monogamy, Webster defines monogamy as being married to one person at a time. And, and the Bible abridges this definition by suggesting that monogamy is one scriptural marriage at a time. Now, I want us to turn over to Romans chapter 7, if you will. Romans chapter 7, and I want us to look beginning in verse 2. This is very clearly laid out here in this particular text. Romans 7 and verse 2, you ought to note that in your Bibles. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she leaves with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she's married, if she marries another man, uh, she's not an adulteress. You know, if her spouse dies and she marries another man, that's fine. She is not an adulteress. And so uh, that's what Romans chapter 7 says. Now, marriage is monogamous by its design. Now, you think about this for just a minute. Look at some of these practical points. First, we know that marriage is monogamous because God, in the beginning, made one man for one woman. Of course, Dr. Sam Jones touched on this. I hope if you weren't here for our strengthening the family day, uh, we had a lesson on gender identity. There's only two genders, right? Uh, there's male and female. God created male and female. And so we know that marriage is monogamous because God in the beginning made one man for one woman. Also, this standard was repeated in the New Testament and is still binding on us today. I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 10. We need to read this for just a moment. A few verses here in Mark chapter uh, 10, beginning in verse 2. I just want to read this text in your hearing. I hope you'll pay attention to what it says. We'll make some comments as we go. The Bible says the Pharisees came up in order to test Jesus. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. You know, she burnt breakfast one morning. Get rid of her, right? Just anything, just about goes. Uh, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And God's taking the law of marriage and he's going all the way back to the very beginning. God's intention and what's going to be 
in regard to the law of marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. He shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate or put asunder. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. You know, they were kind of concerned about this. One time they said, man, it's better, if this is true, it's better for a man not to even marry, you know, if it's going to be this strict. Uh, and they were serious about that. And I guess it's true, right? You know, if, it's, if you can't accept what Jesus says, you, you just shouldn't marry. And so they asked him in the house about this matter. He said to them, whosoever, listen to this now, Whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, there it is, plain and simple. And if we didn't have the exception clause in Matthew 19, it would be totally wrong to ever divorce for any reason and to marry somebody else. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Now we've got to take into consideration everything the Lord said about this, but that's a verse right there you need to make sure that you take note of. Whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So marriage is monogamous in its design. Also, we know that the marriage relationship is to be monogamous because we talked about elders and deacons in our class on leadership. Uh, we talked about how they're commanded, elders are commanded, deacons are commanded to be the husband of one wife. You're to be a one woman kind of man. And there again, that's based upon the marriage relationship. Thirdly, we know that the marriage relationship is to be monogamous because plural marriages are defined by God as being adulterous. And so it's very plain in the Bible that uh, plural marriages are not acceptable to God. So that's the monogamous nature of a happy marriage. Now, let's talk about the permanency of a happy marriage. Now, keep in mind, this lesson that we're dealing with now is some basic introductory marks that uh, we need to think about and see our way through. You know, we want to be, have happy marriages. That's our goal. This is how we can have a happy marriage that is pleasing to God. The permanency of a happy marriage. You know, the preacher one time in an otherwise normal wedding ceremony, he came to the point of saying in the wedding ceremony, will you take this woman for better or worse in sickness and in health for richer or poorer? Well, the, the nervous groom, thinking it must be a question of multiple choice, said, I'll take happier and healthier and richer. You see, that's not what the, the preacher meant when he was talking about those vows. You have to take her in sickness and in health. Suppose one of the marriage partners develops a terrible disease after they get married. Suppose they're involved in an automobile accident and the young wife is permanently paralyzed. You know, she's alive, but she's permanently paralyzed. See, that's where commitment comes in, doesn't it? Right? Uh, I think about one lady that I'm aware of 
that was in a nursing home for almost 50 years because something like that happened to her and uh, her husband when they got married. She had a terrible stroke that, I mean, it was debilitating. Husband forsook her and went off and married somebody else. He wasn't true to the vows that, that he committed. And so we have to be committed to our spouse regardless of how difficult the situation may become. And uh, that can be hard from time to time. And tragically, uh, many see marriage today as that particular groom did. You know, that marriage is only fine as long as everything's going well. However, when problems come and when the new wears off, the honeymoon is over, the marriage relationship is kind of like it's disposable as diapers can be, right? You can just end it right there. God intends for marriage to be celebrated by one man and one woman for life. That's why we talk about that in kids sing. It's not just a phrase that we say. It's something that is biblical. One man for one woman for life. It's not one man for one man for life or one woman for one woman. You know, it's one man for one woman for life. It's to be permanent. Now, God's plan for marriage demands permanency. God's wisdom in establishing the marriage relationship intended that the husband and the wife, that they live uh, together their entire life until death separates them. We just read Romans chapter 7. And God's plan simply is stated, one man for one woman for life. This is a permanent relationship that should only end by death. Now, there is one exception to the permanence of the marriage. You know, we look at what the Bible says and what the scriptures teach and all the accounts of the gospel and the epistles and we assert and affirm that the only exception to the permanency of the marriage relationship is death or the unfaithfulness sexually to the marriage vows by the committing of sexual immorality. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 9. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. Whosoever marries her that is put away doth commit adultery. Somebody says, you know, explain that verse to me. What does that mean? Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and shall marry another commits adultery. And whosoever marries her that is put away doth commit adultery. Well, what do you think the Lord's actually saying there? Whosoever shall put away his wife... Set to be for fornication and shall marry another commits adultery. Whosoever marries her that is put away doth commit adultery. Doesn't need explaining, does it? Just needs be believing. It needs accepting. And so that is the exception clause. We looked at Mark chapter 2 a minute ago, right? And if it weren't for this exception clause, there would be no way you could ever divorce uh, your spouse uh, and marry another uh, without committing adultery. But there is this one exception here and that is sexual immorality, the sexual act itself. And that combined or with death of one of the spouses ends the marriage relationship. Did I hear somebody say something? Oh, I thought I heard a voice. Okay. So that's God's one exception. Now, later on, we're going to talk about this in more detail, I promise. All right. I'm just kind of going through some things right now. Uh, what's God's attitude towards divorce? Is that important to understand, you think? How does God view divorce? 
Breaks our heart when we see it happen, doesn't it? Breaks my heart to see a husband and wife give up on the relationship. You want to try to do everything you can to keep them together. But how does God view it? God made the marriage relationship, didn't he? Didn't he? And God, you know, in a scriptural marriage, God joins the two together. How does he feel when there's divorce? Well, God, during the time of the Old Testament, tolerated divorce, but he never approved of it. And in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, uh, he is responding to an inquiry, as we've already looked, uh, in regard to the Scripture's teaching on divorce. God hates divorce. That's said very simple in the book of Malachi. The Lord's response reminds us that, that marriage is a divinely ordained relationship. God made it. God approves of it. And therefore, its laws are to be determined by God. Civil law, civil court, human decrees don't determine uh, what marriage is and is not. One of the saddest days in our country. And I'll never forget how ashamed I felt when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage and the White House under President Obama was lit in the colors of the rainbow, right? Uh, the LGBTQ uh, sign. Uh, I thought, does that not say a lot about a country right there? You know, it scares me because the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That was just, to me, one of the most horrendous things that I had ever seen. I never thought we'd see that in our country where marriage could actually be redefined uh, by, by the laws of our land. But again, if somebody has rightly written a book called Sodom's Second Coming, we're seeing it, aren't we? You know, Sodom, Sodom didn't get that way overnight. It was a progressive thing. And that's where we're heading in this country if we're not very, very careful. And so God hates when marriage becomes corrupted by human decree, human laws, and human ideas. Also, the physical relationship uh, is a marriage is a physical relationship. And only a physical cause can terminate it, and that is death itself. Now, let's ask this question. I've got 10 minutes. Is there ever a time when a Christian can separate? Think about that. Is there ever a time when Christians can separate? Now, sadly, there are circumstances other than sexual immorality that maybe necessitates a separation between a husband and a wife. Yeah, that's exactly right. However, in these situations, the only possibility of enjoying a married life is for the husband and a wife to once again be reconciled to each other. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you will, for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. This is Paul talking about marriage here. He said, to the married... I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, what's the alternative? She is to remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And then it says that the husband should not divorce his wife. So yes, the Bible says there may be some reasons that you can separate. But the alternative is, is you remain unmarried 
or you be reconciled to your spouse. And therefore, a husband, uh, let a husband and wife need to soften their hearts. They need to conform to heaven's standards and strive to become the husband and wife that God desires them to be. We need to work and make our marriage uh, better and thereby elevate the marriage relationship to the foundation on which it was built by God. Now, this is a question that I want to deal with just quickly. And I want to deal with it now before we move on. Does God permit divorce and remarriage as a result of the desertion of one spouse or the other? Forget that the spouse marries somebody else. They may not. Does God permit divorce and remarriage as the result of, diversion, of, of uh, desertion? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15, If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. And a lot of times people's eyes begin to open wide. But you know, this text is often greatly misunderstood to mean that God sanctions a divorce and a subsequent marriage simply on the grounds of desertion. But that's a wrong conclusion for several reasons. However, you know, this conclusion contradicts the explicit teaching of Jesus in Matthew 19, 9. Jesus gave one exception, right? Except it be for fornication. Now, if there's another exception, Jesus lied, didn't he? Didn't he? Yes. Oh, here's another exception. Well, there's not just one exception, right? Uh, there's two. So, number one... Uh, that contradicts the explicit teaching of Romans chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 19 and is therefore an error. Now, to assist us in understanding this Corinthian text, let's ask the meaning of what is the meaning of the word bondage. The uh, person is not under bondage in such cases. Here in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15, what does that word bondage mean? Well, this is the Greek word, and I want you to notice this, doulou. D-O-U-L-O-O. -O -O. That's the Greek word doulou. That's the word that's used here. In the three passages where the bond referred to is unquestionably marriage and the marriage bond, the word that's used is D-O, D-E-O, not D-O-U-L-O-O. -O. It's a different word altogether. In other words, this word bondage does not even refer to the marriage relationship. And Paul twice uses the word dio, but in verse 15, he uses a different word. Now, the word dulu in some form occurs 133 times in the New Testament, and not a single time out of those 133 times, unless 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15 is the only exception, does it refer to the marriage bond. And so this word refers to slavery. Being a slave. You know, you're not obligated to uh, forsake Jesus Christ. You're in bondage to Him, right? We are slaves of Christ, so to speak, right? And I'm not under any kind of obligation to desert my relationship with Jesus Christ for my unbelieving spouse here, you know, just to get along with Him. I don't have to choose between one or the other. God says your choice is me. 
And that's where you belong. And so this is the word that has to do with slavery. And so the Christian, the deserted Christian, does not stand and in fact never did stand under that kind of bondage. And the very construction, the perfect tense verb, makes it impossible for the bondage under consideration to be the marriage bond. It simply is not the case. The perfect tense means is not now and in fact never has been under this kind of bondage referred to. But the deserted Christian has been in the marriage bond. It's a different bondage though. Therefore, the bondage referred to here is not and could not be any way at all the marriage bond. And so this is not an additional exception that the Lord is talking about. Uh, in the situation where Paul here is talking to these brethren here, it was very likely in some cases that when people were converted to Christianity, maybe one spouse was, one spouse wasn't, what would the unbelieving spouse do? You make a choice. It's either me or your God. You make a choice. I'm not going to serve your God. I'm going to leave and go my way. And if you want to come with me, that's going to be your choice. But you've got to make a decision between your God and me. And so the believing spouse, hopefully committed to God, says... I don't have to follow you into this life of rebellion to God. I, I, I'm not obligated to you under that situation here. My loyalty is to Jesus Christ and to his word. It's sad that that would happen, but it's true that it did happen in that particular time. As I close, though, back in 1992, Karen Lee Gartner of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, became the first Canadian woman in history to win the Olympic gold medal, uh, first Canadian woman to win the Olympic gold medal in the women's downhill. Uh, in her native Canada, she was an immediate sensation. And shortly after her victory, a journalist was interviewing her and commented that this must be the most significant day in her life. And here's how she responded. She said, no, the most significant day was the day of my marriage. But this day ranks pretty high, but it's not the same as my marriage. Truly, marriage is the bud of which heaven is the blossom. When a husband and wife embrace and apply God's blueprint for a happy marriage, then we're going to find ourselves to be folks that are going to be happy in our marriages. But it takes work and it takes uh, a commitment. Now, beginning next week, we're going to talk about husbands, the band around the happy marriage, husbands. Then the next week, we'll talk about the wives, okay? So husbands, get ready for next week. And uh, I hope you'll uh, think about that between now and then, and, and husbands, what we need to do and how we need to act and how we need to be a, a godly husband. We'll talk about that, Lord willing. And I've already done a lot of study on this. Believe me, I'm surprised I still have my toes. You know how you, somebody, you say, you say, preacher, you stepped on my toes? I think going over this and looking at this, I about had mine amputated this week, you know, going over this. So we're going to look at the standard. And believe me, I'm not close to the standard that we, we need to have. But we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week, okay? 
So I've got six o'clock straight up, so I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. I want to thank you very much. Anybody got any comments you want to make before we quit? Feel free to do so. If not, why don't we be dismissed in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for all you do for us. We pray, Father, that you'll bless us throughout the week. We pray that we'll serve you with our full being. We pray for uh, those that are teaching in our school system, those students who are finishing up their year. We pray that things will go smoothly and that things will go well. And we pray for a smooth transition for all those that will be graduating and going off to college in another phase of life. Father, we again ask that you would watch over us and care for us in Christ's name. Amen.